Welcome back to Diaspora.nz, where we're seeking out and profiling the hidden gems, founders, innovators, and leaders of the great Kiwi expat community. I'm your host, David Booth, and today we have a special episode for anyone interested in how biotechnology is going to impact the future. We're chatting to Stephen Banerjee, founder and CEO of McConnell's. Stephen was born in India, but moved to New Zealand to study and develop the core technology behind McConnell's while pursuing a PhD in mechanical engineering at the University of Canterbury. After founding in New Zealand, McConnell's is now centred on the San Francisco Bay Area, where Stephen and team are working with university labs at Stanford and Berkeley to design and build nanoneedle arrays for the manipulation of single cells at vast scale, increasing the rate and efficiency of life-saving treatments for cancer and a wide range of genetic disorders. Today you'll learn about how he's taught himself the advanced biological sciences, some of the basics behind game-changing technologies like CRISPR-CS9, how he's secured mentorships, built relationships, and taken investment from leaders at the top of their industry. And finally, how he'd love to see other scientists and academics following in his footsteps and building startups. But that's enough out of me for now. Let's hand it over to Stephen. Thanks so much for coming along today. Thanks, Dave. We've known each other for a, for a little while now, but I'd love to, to really dig in and, and learn a bit about how did you get to be running Bikanos, living in San Francisco? Sure. So I so I was actually born in Calcutta, India. I spent my early part of my life over there. Of course, I, I grew up in the personal computer revolution and, you know, in the mid-90s. When I was a kid, I think I used a computer for the first time when I was eight years old. You know, it was a religious experience, really. And I always knew that whenever... I go up, uh, I would love to do something like this where, you know, this group of guys who build this really fantastic tool and then this kid in some other part of the world uh, gets inspired by that. I think that's 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 a very powerful feeling. So I grew up with that, you know, with that mindset early on. And also um, there were a bunch of my father's colleagues going to join companies in the Valley, Silicon Valley and San Francisco Bay Area. So, you know, I grew up with a lot of that mindset that that there, maybe there is something over there. So you moved over, was it to study or were you moving to New Zealand anyway? No, I was moving to New Zealand to study and I got the scholarship from the university and I actually stayed on to do my degrees from there, eventually going to my PhD. Uh, this opportunity for uh, this research came along, purely accidental. How, do, how, how does accidental research come up? <laughs> well, so I was doing this um, summer research trying to fuse sperm cells with egg cells. It's called in vitro fertilization. So the professor was trying to automate the whole process. Uh, now, I was I was getting paid for that, but the irony was that it was one of the most frustrating moments of my life. I thought that, hey, you know, we can probably do something better. I mean, you know, we are uh, creating all this other cool technology stuff and computers and so forth. Why not we can do something like that in this case? Anyway, so, you know, long story short, I thought, hey, maybe we can, uh, instead of having this one little glass micropipette holding an egg cell and another micropipette holding uh, the sperm cell, and then you basically manually try to fuse them together, what if we, you can have millions of these little tiny mi- micropipettes and automate the whole system? It was nothing really remarkable at that time, but, you know, everything sort of grew organically. And I started digging more and more into the bigger picture about cell therapy, gene therapy, gene sequencing, etc. You know, a lot of the things were coming of age. Engineering was becoming more and more integrated with biology. Uh, Gene sequencing was becoming more and more cheaper. So there was all this discrete set of events happening. And that really made, for me, understanding the implications, if, if, if we can do something along those lines, the, you know, sort of the big picture was really 
becoming more and more clear. So you set out to study something, and it doesn't really sound like it was it was clear at the at the at the inception of the study, but uh, but you always knew that you wanted to convert this into into a business. Did you? You know, when, did, when was the aha moment that you knew that this was this was a startup and you could actually build a business around this research you're doing? So, well, there were some aha moments in terms of technical aha moments, if you will. Business-wise, it actually was more organic. For me, originally, the cell and gene therapy was economically not feasible in almost 50% of the world because 50% of the world's population live less than $4 a day. I mean, like more than 50% of the world's population. How can you adopt a technology that costs more than a million dollars. So, you know, when when I was going through those kind of numbers, it, it really blew my mind away. And I thought that maybe we can do something better than that. The opportunities are really enormous over here. That's a perfect segue into into really understanding what you are doing. And uh, I mean, if, if, I'm, if I'm getting the drift here, you've taken that similar process of, of thousands of little uh, microscopic needles, which uh-huh. you had, which you'd sort of first had the had the brainwave with the in vitro fertilization, and you're doing something around the gene editing. So, can you describe sort of what you're focused on a little bit more there? Sure. So we are uh, so we are primarily a chip technology company. We don't really classify ourselves as biotech or biomed, but we have got a healthcare focus. As we say that we are we are developing an engineering solution to a fundamental therapeutic problem, and the problem is that the way molecules are delivered into cells. You know, one of the major fundamental aspect of any therapy where you need to get your, you know, whatever drug compounds, etc., across the cell barrier. So cell has got this boundary. And a lot of the times as molecules, whether small or big or, uh, you know, the, depending upon their electric charge, they cannot just pass through. Imagine it's just like a country with an immigration system, right? How we see ourselves is sort of the UPS, like the logistics for delivering um, you know, eventually any kind of therapeutic molecule into any cell type. Um, and it does not matter whether it's small or large or, you know, a polar molecule with a lot of charge, negative charge or whatever, uh, you'd be able to do that. Uh, people so far have developed biological agents or chemical techniques to achieve this kind of delivery. We have made a bit of progress, but we are not yet at a place where we should have been uh, following tens of billions of dollars worth of investment over the last 20, 30 years. Uh, so yeah, so that's basically what we're trying to achieve, but I can go in more detail as you. Well, what would be really interesting is, as you uh, obviously are focused on the delivery uh, and, the, and the editing of, of the genes, what are you delivering? Um, why is this important and, and, and what can you actually do to, you know, to that gene by, by delivering some mm. sort of modification to it? So. You know, cell therapy or gene therapy, is, uh, as it's called, uh, has been held as a promise for uh, not just treating but curing diseases such as cancer, almost any kind of cancer, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, genetic disorders, etc., for more than 50 years, actually. The problem with the cell and gene therapy is basically that you have got your cells, and if there is a mutation because of a particular disease, you want to deliver corrected genes and just correct the mutations in your cells. By mutations, I mean like your DNA is this uh, 3 billion base pair double helix structure, like a ladder, right? If there are sudden letters missing from the, you know, from the normal sequence, it can actually make or break your life, right? So it's like a computer code, ones and zeros. It's very binary. 
Imagine if you can actually correct the mutation. Well, one of the one of the biggest, I, I suppose, every any time that this whole sector uh, makes it into the media, there's there's always people who are, you know, shouting about the risks involved, and if you're editing genes and if you're returning to the body, do you think about that in your focus, or is that a little bit out of out of scope? Sure. So, so cell and gene therapies are saying that it has been held as a promise for curing a, a bunch of diseases, but it has never really took off. And the major limitations have been the way these genes have been delivered using viruses. Um, you know, viruses, they're called like viral vectors. So basically, viruses act like spaceship. You destabilize a virus, and then you, uh, these viruses carry your particular genes of interest into the cell and basically deliver those genes wherever there is a mutation. And, you know, uh, but the problem is that viruses also have their own DNA that will integrate into the human DNA. There are a bunch of different viruses. You've got lentivirus, adeno-associated virus, adenovirus, you know, there are a whole bunch of different viruses without going into details. Um, but the viruses have worked on certain cell types, for example, T cells, which come, which reside in your blood cells uh, for uh, this thing called immunotherapy, where you take your immune cells out of the body and then you genetically modify these T cells and then put those T cells back so that it can identify other cells that are cancerous and then destroy them. Uh, but that's just a very narrow version of what cell and gene therapy can achieve. Uh, the problem is that viruses are really nasty and it hasn't really worked that well so far, over 50 years. And our hypothesis was several years ago, what if we can eliminate viruses? What if we can eliminate any kind of biological agents? People have also develop nanoparticles to deliver drug compounds. It has happened for almost 30 years. But our hypothesis was that what if we don't use any of this biological or chemical techniques and just use a simple engineering solution, something that I used in my summer research, having those micropipettes. But you just if you had millions of this and you know millions of these micropipettes, shrink them down to a little chip size and uh, Imagine like a cornfield of this little tiny micropipettes all shrunk down to this nano size and then you coat your drug compounds on the surface and then puncture to the cell, eliminating use of any kind of biological or chemical techniques whatsoever. So there's some really interesting science going on here and, and one thing that immediately jumps to mind is, um, I mean you are building this as a, as a startup and th how do you think about the success of this company? Um, how do you measure the, the success of, of Mekonos against different milestones as you communicate with your investors or your potential future, future partners? What sort of processes are you going through now? Now, yeah, sure. So, you know, one of the things that investors don't like to hear, but I'll just tell you anyway, is that we are saying that, hey, you know what? <coughs> we want to uh, standardize the whole process of delivery, delivering any kind of molecules into any cell types. You know, if you want to modify your plant cells for agriculture, to make them more vulnerable or resistant to pesticides, you can do that. If you want to modify your stem cells to, you know, and for certain kind of regenerative medicine purposes, you can do that. So uh, we, so we're trying to create this, 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 this sort of universal delivery technology. But one of the major risk factors over here is that eventually, how many cells can we eventually put under our portfolio? 
how many cells can we eventually genetically modify. Do you think about this in the same way that like a, a software company might go after one enterprise sector first? Do you, do you want to go out and solve one problem first and then expand to the, to the rest? Because I mean, right now it sounds like you're going after all of the problems, all of the diseases, all of the, all of the cell types no, all at once. So yeah, so I must clarify, that's eventually what we want to do. Right now what we're doing is basically trying to deliver this new, uh, you know, this fantastic discovery that happened just down the block at Berkeley, uh, CRISPR-Cas molecules, CRISPR-Cas based uh, editing molecules into stem cells. That's what basically we're we're trying to do, uh, because right now they're being delivered using viruses, as I said, viral vectors. Uh, the efficiency has been really, really, extraordinarily insignificant, like somewhere around less than 0.1 percent to like 5 percent efficiency. Um, so CRISPR-Cas molecules are, act like molecular scissors. They can go into your cell, and it's like if your if your DNA is like a is, is like a foam strip, and if there are certain scenes that you don't want and you you want to cut it out, basically it'll just do the same thing. It'll just splice or it'll just delete certain scenes from your film strip. In this case, the film strip is a DNA, and you know delete your uh, those mutations that you don't want. And you can also program this molecule so that it can deliver your gene of interest. They're therefore correcting your mutation forever. Um, this CRISPR Cas. So that's that, that's what we are we are actually in the process of delivering into the a few different stem cell types. Got it. So one thing I'm I'm definitely getting here, Stephen, is you told me that you you sort of studied mechanical engineering. You are at the cutting edge of a biological science, but you didn't have any academic training in the field. So you must have, have some kind of technique of, of teaching yourself. Uh, where are you learning and how are you approaching sort of upskilling in, in that sector? Uh, that's right. You know, uh, I said, you know, there are kids who come to me and say that, hey, you know what, I had math uh, in junior high and high school, uh, like in, you know, in your grad school. I tell them that you should have seen me in high school and how much I hated biology. And I think the irony of my life is that I ended up doing something that is purely, you know, biology related, although there is a lot of engineering involved as well. Um, I think it's primarily, I think, curiosity as you dig deeper and deeper, you understand the significance of that. And so, yeah, it just happens organically. Let's dig into that a little bit more, though, because, I mean, if you could give some advice to the, the students who are looking to go into a, an advanced field of study now, uh, but ultimately looking to build it into a business. Would you advise someone to follow in your footsteps directly, or could they be getting the same experience out in a, maybe out in a big pharmaceutical Well, lab? I think for me, I think going to university has really helped me a lot. It has really made me very socially responsible, if you will. Um, and it has also brought me in contact with, you know, a variety of different cultures from around the world. It has really broadened my, you know, sort of this horizon. I think it's it has really helped me in terms of where I am today. Um, I think uh, one of the great things about going to university is it really makes you open-minded and that is very important as an entrepreneur. You've now relocated to the US or you're certainly spending a lot more time up in uh, Silicon Valley Bay Area yourself. Um, yep. What are some of the challenges that you've faced as a scientist and entrepreneur over the last two or three years as you've been thinking about moving this business to where it needs to be to grow and, and how have you really gone through that process of thinking about you know, where you want to be uh, and, and where the business needs to be. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, there are several issues. Whenever you're trying to do something, you know, highly R&D intensive, you need a lot of capital to begin with. So, the second point is that in the biomedical sector, if you don't have white hairs, people really don't take you seriously. <laughs> That's a big problem. 
And I mean, people have accepted that for almost 40 years in software industry, but not in this industry. So the way to get around that is actually involve people with with white hairs and, and a lot of wisdom. So that's what I actually done. Uh, so that takes some time. Um, the third part is that, of course, you know, um, because it's really aren't intensive and it's highly multidisciplinary, you need to involve people. So you have to work with people who are like biologists or chemists, and that's what we're doing right now, uh, being based at Stanford and Berkeley. Um, one of the, uh, I think, in our case, because I had, you know, ex affinity to the United States because of living here before and knowing the culture, so I did not really have a lot of problem transitioning. But I must say that it was definitely a big challenge in terms of, uh, you know, trying to move an operation from New Zealand to Silicon Valley where the culture is very, very different, truly, because in New Zealand, you're much more conservative. Although it's a very collaborative culture, just like here in the Valley, in the Valley, people are a lot more, um, you know, people are a lot more willing to say that we are doing something which is which nobody has done before. Uh, in New Zealand, people will be a lot more, you know, they'll be a lot more cautious before seeing anything like that. Final question, um, just to wrap things up, the, the one I love is, uh, who are you most interested in meeting? Uh, what can we help with? What can the, the community help? Well, definitely with? potential stakeholders, um, like, you know, the drug, like, you know, for example, the cell and gene therapy companies or any company doing any kind of, uh, like, gene modification work, whether engineering cells or, you know, companies that are involved with uh, cell and gene therapeutic stuff, um, uh, or companies that are, um, doing, you know, like even gene modification for agriculture or like industrial biology, because with this new CRISPR-Cas technique, which is truly remarkable, you know, you're really opening up, uh, you know, whole new kind of industries from livestock, industrial biology, agriculture, uh, drug discovery, uh, of course, true to human therapeutics, uh, which is where we are based right now. Thanks again, Stephen. And to everyone for listening, as per Stephen's final comments, if you personally are, or if you have connections to potential stakeholders, that's any organization investigating the potential in gene therapies, big pharmaceutical companies, industrial agriculture, universities and research groups, he'd love to hear from you. Just send us a message via team at diaspora.nz and we'll make sure he gets a connection. Also, if you have any feedback on the episode, questions or suggestions for future guests, we'd love to hear from you. That's it for now. We'll see you next time.